0: Are y'all excited about Victory Vita? Isn't that awesome? I'm so excited about that. We uh, are thrilled to be a part of that. Last year, in our Christmas gift to the world, we raised over $700,000 in that offering. So I know that all that we need is in the house, amen? So look forward to that when we take up that offering. I wanna welcome all the campuses this weekend. We're all celebrating together from the the central campus, we have Midtown, we have North Cobb, we have Hamilton Mill, we have the online campus. We have everybody joining us together. So let's give a warm welcome to all of our campuses together. <laughs> if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We are in a series. We're calling the series Build on the Rock and The idea, the big idea of this series is sort of a culmination of all the sermons that have been preached this year from the book of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. This has been an entire year, it's the first time in the history of our church, in the 33 years of our church, that we've ever taken an entire year to focus on one sermon, and I think, personally, I feel like it's the best Series of messages we've ever seen in our church, in the history of our church. I think Pastor Johnson and Summer and all the different teams, Mo and Kendra and, and Darius and Melba and Chris and Lisa, all of them have done a fantastic job. Have, would y'all agree that they've done a fantastic <laughs> job preaching these these messages? And um, so here we are, we're on, we're on the second part of this uh, message, the second uh, in a sequence of messages, kind of wrapping up what... Jesus was saying, and it's, it's probably uh, one of my foundational scriptures is Matthew chapter seven, so I want you to read along with me in verse 24 where Jesus says this. He says, therefore, all the things you've heard from the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, and the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, what Jesus is talking about, he's saying that whatever you are wherever you are in life at some point in your life you're going to have a storm in your life you're going to have a trial you're going to have a tribulation some kind of trauma in your life and how you handle that how you manage that will determine what goes on as you go forward and he says it really comes down to how you build your life and i like the concept of building we we've been a building a church for 33 years. When we started the church, it was a very small church, a very small group of people, and we learned how to build into those people over a period of time until we come to what we have here 33 years later, and we built a good church. Would y'all agree this is a good church? It's a, it's a solid church, and the main thing that we built it on, the rock that we talk about, is the Word of God. The word is the foundation for everything. And we all know that as we go into the future, the word is not gonna necessarily be popular. And it's gonna be attacked. And so you have to learn how to stand on that and build your life on that. Well, as I started thinking through all the different things that are going on in society right now, I begin to realize, you know, one of the challenges we've had since COVID hit three years ago is there's been a great rise in depression in people. A lot of people have gotten depressed over the last three years. Some because of isolation, some because of loss, some because of just trials that they're going through, maybe economic trials or physical trials. Maybe they've lost a loved one. And then when you come into the holiday season, which we are in now from Thanksgiving through Christmas, while it's a very joyful season for people who have a a wonderful family and people, friends around them, how many of you know there's a lot of people that don't have that? And there are a lot of people that are going through uh, challenges in this time. I remember my first Thanksgiving as a Christian back in 1982, I was working at Time I had a Business and it was the first time in my life, it was the only time in my life, that I actually spent Thanksgiving all by myself. I was in Boston, Massachusetts doing a job up there and a friend of mine was letting me stay in their apartment and I remember waking up on Thanksgiving morning because we weren't working on that particular day, and I was thinking, I've never been alone in my life like this. I'm sitting here in this apartment all by myself, all by myself. <laughs> Thought I'd just give you a little chuckle. You know I can't sing. And, and I didn't have turkey. I didn't have stuffing. I didn't have any of that stuff. All I had, I had gone out to the store and bought a pumpkin pie. And I sat there and ate that entire pumpkin pie with whipped cream. That was my Thanksgiving meal. And just thinking about how lonely I was. How many of you have ever been there? You ever been lonely? Just been down a little bit? And it was there that the Lord began to show me, speak to me, about this foundational principle that if you learn to build your life on it, you'll make it through your trials. Now, when you, when you came in this morning, you might be going through some stuff and you might be wondering, how, do, how am I gonna come out of this? How am I going to make it through this? And if you're not going through something right now, you will. It's just the nature of life. Life has a, its ups and it has its downs, amen? And too much of life has been built on this concept of what we call happiness or the pursuit of happiness instead of understanding the principle of What I'm gonna share with you this morning of how you build your life on the power of joy. Now there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a feeling. And one of the best things you could ever learn as a follower of Jesus is that you cannot build your life on feelings because your feelings go up and your feelings go down. You could be up today and down tomorrow. You could be up right now and when you leave today, you could be down But I got news for you. You're not going to be down when you leave today. You've come into the right place. If you're down right now, you're going to leave up today. Amen? Amen. This is going to be an up message. And the word produces in, in us this thing called joy. And joy is a spirit. It's not a feeling. It's a spiritual gift, a fruit, a force of the Holy Spirit. It's connected to the person of the Holy Spirit. When, when, when it talks about Jesus and all that he went through and all the trials and the tribulations and the fact that he was mocked and he was scourged and he was beaten and then tortured and then eventually put on a cross, it says how he made it through it. He says it was the joy that was set before him that helped him endure the cross. So I've done this study over the years about joy and I've learned that there is a power that once you get it into your life, no matter what you go through, you're going to make it to the other side. You're going to make it, and you're going to succeed in life. Amen? All right, so I started thinking, okay, what did Jesus? What does it say about Jesus and joy? And in the book of John, G- Jesus does this teaching, and he kind of it's a progressive building teaching, and he starts off by telling us something that I think all of us are familiar with. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief, everybody say the thief. The thief, and how many of you know the thief is the devil, he's talking about Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the the full. So let me ask you a question. If you were to evaluate your life right now, would you say your life is at the full? You're living in the fullness of everything that God's created for you to live in? Well, most people would say, if they were honest, no, I'm not living in the fullness of life. I'm I'm, I'm lacking some things. And here's what he's trying to say. He's saying, listen, the reason you're not living in the full is because you have an enemy called the thief. He's the devil. He's not your husband. He's not your wife. He's not your friends. He's not your job. He's not your boss. The thief is the devil, And you've got to get your eyes on who the real enemy is. Amen? And when you get your eyes on who the enemy is, understand his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy things in your life. But the number one thing he's coming to steal and kill and destroy in you is the joy of the Lord. Because he knows if he can steal your joy, he can steal your life. He can take you down. Because if you have no joy, listen to me, you have no strength. Because the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. If we have to have strength to have, hold on to the word of God, we get it through joy. So he's saying he says, he comes to give you a full life. Then he says this in John 15, 11, These things, Jesus said, I've spoken to you that my joy, that's Jesus' joy, may remain in you that your joy may be full. In other words, I want to transfer the joy that's in me into you. So that you can understand how I made it through my trials and you'll make it through your trials. Then he says in John 17, 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure. Everybody say full measure. Full Full measure of my joy within them. In other words, if they're gonna make it in life, they're gonna have to have the full measure of joy. And here's Here's what happens is when you start to get the joy of the Lord, things shift in your ability to manage trouble in your life, in your ability to manage trials and attacks that come against you. Now, James would say it this way. In James chapter one in verse two, he says, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. In other words, he's saying when you're going through a difficulty, this is an opportunity. Here's what I've learned about life. Sometimes the worst thing that could ever happen to you can be the best thing that ever happens to you. It's when you go through trials that it presses you back into God. When everything is going well, you tend to forget God. When you're enjoying life and things are flowing with you, the tendency is to slack off in your relationship with God and just enjoy the happiness that you feel in the moment. It's only when you go through trials that you remind yourself, oh, there! I better go back to God because I have to find God in the midst of this trial or I'm not going to make it. And if you wait until that happens, many times the negativity of your trial will steal your joy. It'll steal your joy, and once God, the devil steals your joy, he steals your strength to hold on to the word of God. He steals your ability to hold on to it, and then you start to go negative. You ever been around a negative person? Huh, have you ever been around a negative? Well, I, yes, I have. I don't want to say it out loud, but I'm sitting right next to him right now. Come on, you all, we all just had Thanksgiving. How many of you have some negative folk in your family? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, 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 and there's always somebody that's negative. My, my mother was extremely negative. And I had to really overcome that. And I, I remember when she got, she got ill one time, and when she got ill, she started going down. And she kind of got caught in a situation where she, she couldn't really function normally in life. So she just sat in front of a TV all day watching Fox News. 24 hours a day. As long as she was alive, she was watching the news. Now, how I many of you know the news will take you down? Have you ever sat there and just watched 30 minutes of the news? you whoa. I didn't know so many bad things could happen to so many people in such a short period of time. Every single day of the week, every single day. If you watch a lot of the news, can I just tell you something? The news will steal your joy. It's bad out there. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you, it's bad and it's going to get worse. So you don't need to watch the news all the time because the news is just going to remind you of how bad it really is. Now, he said, well, I gotta stay informed. Yes, you do have to stay informed. I'm not saying you don't stay informed, but you better counteract that information with something because if you don't, it'll take you down. So he's saying that when you're going through a trial, you've gotta count on the fact that joy is what takes you through it. It, it, You're going to understand that it, it produces something in you, it produces this thing called endurance. Now, I don't know about you, but I need endurance. And joy is this spiritual force that God gives me to to make it through my trials and through my situations. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe this morning, all of you at all the campus, this is a true question, I'm a winner. Let me me see, how many of you believe I'm a winner? About half of you? There are a lot of people that walk around like this. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. They told me on social media I'm a loser. My friends told me I'm a loser. My boss told me I'm a loser. My husband told me I'm a loser. A lot of people think they're losers. They don't know that they were created to win. They were created to win. You were created to win. They don't even know they're a winner. All right, let me ask you another question. This is gonna sound a crazy question, but I just wanna see. How many of you cannot swim? Let me see your hands. You, I just literally cannot swim. That's all right. It's okay. I get it. I mean, you didn't grow up around swimming or pools, or maybe people told you that was not for you, you, all right, I get it, all right. <laughs> let me just tell you something, all of you that raised your hand, you cannot swim, let me see your hands one more time, I cannot swim, <laughs> listen to me, look, keep your hands up, yes, you can, yes, you can. You'd be amazed what you could do. Back in my day, this is how we trained, this is how you got trained to swim. Back in my day, they just threw you in the water. They just threw you in the water and you figured it out. It's either swim or die. And I got news for you. You'll you'll, you'll turn that water into butter. I mean, you'll get you'll you'll manage to stay on top if you can. All right. Now, why do I say you can swim? All right, so let me let me explain something. I I I'm a little weird, I'm a little strange. I have strange thoughts that come through my mind every once in a while. And I was thinking about this just this morning, and I looked it up. I said, "I said I want to find out the statistics of how how many." Now this is going to sound crazy. Don't get don't get all religious on me. But how many sperm does it take to create a person? I want to know how many sperm. One. But when a man and a woman come together to create a person, physically, do you know that over one hundred million sperm happen in that interaction? 100 million, not a 1,000, 100 million. And every one of them, when that, starts, when that process starts, starts swimming. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. They're swimming. With all of their might, they're going somewhere. They're heading upstream, and they're getting, there's a journey that they're headed towards, and they're all going to the same spot. 100 million at one time. And as they're swimming, along the way, people start giving up. These sperm, they're all potential humans, but they start giving up, and they start dropping off and dying like flies. I mean, they just start dying. And by the time they get about three-quarters of the way into the journey, right before they get into the fallopian tubes, there's only, there's only about 1,000 left out of 100 million And then when they get down to the right before the incubation with the egg, there's only about 200 left. But somehow, listen to me guys, I know you don't believe it, but somehow, in a hundred, one in a hundred million, you made it, you made it. You're the one who won, you swam through all that, get out of my way, I am going, I'm going in. It's the miracle. You're a miracle. You are a walking, living, breathing miracle of God. <laughs> Don't you ever say I can't swim. You are created to swim and you won. You want a race. You want a swimming race. <laughs> you beat a hundred million others. <laughs> That ought to give, that's nothing else. That ought to give you a little joy right now. You ought to sit down and just thank God for that. Thank you, Lord, that I made it. All my fellow swimmers, they all dropped by the wayside, but I I made it. All right. Now, how do you develop this life of joy? How do I get myself into a position that I think like that, that I think I can win, that I think I will overcome, that I think... That no matter what I'm going through, even if I'm going through a physical trial, maybe I'm going through a financial challenge, maybe I'm going through a relational challenge, whatever that is, how do I make it through this trial? How do I get to the other side? Because this is a foundational principle that you have to build your life on. So how do I get my joy stronger? How do I get it up inside of me? All right, so I started thinking back over the years of times of trials and so forth, and what... What did I do? What, do? what do you do as a Christian? What does the word tell us to do? And I found that there were three principles in building a life of joy. Three things that if you build these into your daily routine, if you build them into your life daily, you will start to operate re- regularly with, a, with the spiritual force of joy so no matter what the enemy throws at you, you're still gonna make it. Amen. Amen. And you're not going to get depressed, and you're not going to become, become a negative thinker and a negative person, you're going to become a person that makes it through the trials. All right, so the first one, here's number one. You got to learn to focus, everybody say focus, focus on the promise in spite of the problem. The problem is always going to be there, the problem is there, and, and way too many of us think more about the problem than what the promise of God is. Now, here's the challenge, because if you're, if you're new to the Lord, many times you don't know promise. You don't know what the promises of the Bible are. So one of the first things you've got to learn to do is read the Bible. And when you see a promise in the Bible, just understand this, that when you see a promise from God in the Bible, when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. He is not one of these people that just makes promises and then forgets about them. You can count on it. If God says it, that he will do it, it will come to pass, and if you focus on it and you get your life built around it, no matter what the enemy throws at you, the promise is always greater than the problem. But for many people, the problem is the, big pro- is the thing that they focus on. And what happens to a lot of people is they ruminate. Do you know what ruminate is? Ruminate is when you think about something over and over and over again. Have you ever just woken up in the middle of the night and you're just, you know, you want to go back to sleep, but your thinking becomes, you know, and focused around a problem in your life. Maybe it could be physical, maybe it could be relational, whatever it may be, and you start thinking about that problem. And you can't go to sleep because you keep thinking. You can't shut your thinking down. I've had that happen to me. I call it the dark night of the soul. I mean, How of you have had a dark night of the soul where you go to bed and you wake up and you're in this dark place, You're in this negative place where you can't seem to break this cycle of negativity, where everything feels like it's about to fall apart on your life. This is where you've got to learn how to take the promises of God and begin to focus on those. What are the promises of God? So God says in his word in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul gives us some insight to where the battle starts. It starts in the mind, and he says in chapter 10 verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are formulated thoughts that form in our minds that seal the negativity in our minds and seal God out. Seals God out and seals the negativity of this, this negative thought in our mind. And once they become... A part of your mind, and we keep ruminating over it, eventually it builds a stronghold in your mind, controlling you. So it says, says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. All right, so what is the problem that you might be facing right now? What's trying to work on taking your joy? When you read through the Bible, you'll see these different biblical characters that have trials and tribulations, but somehow they always make it through. That's the recurring theme through the Bible. From Moses to you got Abraham, Moses, you've got David, you've got all these Old Testament characters. Then you've got the New Testament characters who are all martyr for the faith, but they make it through. How do they do it? So I'm reading through the book of Romans one day, and here's what it says about Abraham in Romans chapter four, verse 20. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So let me ask you a question. Are you fully convinced? See, if you're not fully convinced that God is able to do what he says he will do in the word, then whatever problem you have will become greater than the promise of God. You've got to learn that you've got to re-engage your mind in the promises so that when the problem comes, your mind is ready for them. So that when you look at the problem, you don't focus on the problem, you focus on the promise. Now, As I'm going through the Bible, a lot of times, here's what I've done. I've learned that it's good that when I get up in the morning, I read the Bible, I put the promises of God in me, and then I start to ruminate on the promise. I start to think about it, meditate on it, and then what I try to do, and this is a good practice for all of you, is I try to remember it. I try to memorize the scriptures because the more I learn the scriptures, the more that when the problem comes, I can quote the scriptures to the problem. So let me give you a few things, a few promises of God that God puts in his word. This is one, Isaiah 43, two. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, those of you that think you can't swim, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. One of the Biggest scriptures that fills, is, are filled with promises in Romans chapter eight. He says this in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know, and you know the scripture, that all things, everybody say all things. That means even bad things, work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, who love God and are called according to his purpose. All right, how many of you love God? All right, how many of you feel called according to his purpose? That means that no matter what happens, No matter how difficult life is, it's working ultimately for your good. It's working for your good if you believe that. If you believe the promise of God, well, no matter what's going on, God, I'm going to learn in the midst of these problems that your promise is true. I'm going to come through to the other side. Then he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, and what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All these people that are against me, it doesn't matter because God is for me. I like to think of it this way. God, you are for me, you are with me, and you are living inside of me. You are for me, you're with me, and you're living in me. I say that all the time to God. God, I thank you that you're for me. And if you're for me, it doesn't matter what's against me. I thank you, God, that you live in me, and greater is he that lives in me than anything that's in this world. I thank you, God, that wherever I go, whatever I do, you are with me wherever I go. So I cannot fail. And then he says in Romans chapter eight, as he concludes this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress or famine or persecution or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is, he says, for your sake, we're killed all day long. But he says, yet in all these things, all these things, we are more than conquerors. You were created to be more than a conqueror. The more you focus on what God says about you instead of what your problem is, the more likely joy is going to be a part of your life. Joy comes as you focus on the promise. Secondly, joy comes, the promise of joy comes when you begin to speak the word of God instead of the problem, instead of your circumstance. Now, here's one of the challenges because a lot of times when things happen to us, we want to talk about them. We want to talk about the problem. We want to rehearse it. I, I, you know, as, as a pastor for many years, standing up at the front door, a lot of people use that as an opportunity to rehearse their problems and tell me as they go out, this is what's happening, and they'll unleash an incredible array of problems, and then, like, they want me to fix that at the door. And I'll always, I'll always ask people, what would you like me to do? Oh, I don't want you to do it, I just want you to hear. I just want to listen. People just want you to listen to their problems. The reality is the more you rehearse your problem, the bigger your problem will get. Did you hear what I just said? When Jesus was on the earth, one of the things that he said, that one of the promises of God that he said, he said, whenever you speak words, understand that you can actually say to mountains, mountains representing problems, circumstances, trials, obstacles in your life, speak to the mountain, Be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart that he shall have whatever he says. He says that out of his own mouth. Jesus said, you have power in your mouth. He says, instead of speaking about the mountain, speak to the mountain. All right, so what's the mountain in your life? What are you saying? Are you talking about the mountain or are you speaking to the mountain? Now, that comes with this idea, and this concept that you actually have authority when you speak words. How many of you know God gave you authority when he defeated the devil? Yes, he did. No, he did. The writer of Proverbs says, there's death and there's life in your tongue, and you will bear the fruit of what you speak. You are preaching to yourself. You're preaching either life or death over yourself. If you're constantly ruminating and talking negative, that's what you're going to have. You're going to talk yourself into getting depressed. Did you hear what I just said? And so he's got. You've got to shift gears. You've got to shift gears. I need joy, and if I'm going to get joy, I've got to speak life and not death. I've got to speak to the problem instead of about the problem. The only weapon Satan has. See, he's been defeated. The Bible says Jesus defeated the devil and made a show of him openly, triumphing over him. That's the book of Colossians. It says he took the keys of death and hell and he rose from the the grave. The devil is not on top of your circumstances. He's under your feet. Spiritually speaking, he's under your feet. But too many people are talking to the devil like this. He's on their shoulder. The devil did this. The devil did that. The the devil only has authority where you give him authority. If you don't give him authority, he has no authority. And if you constantly speak negative thoughts and negative words, you're giving him authority in your life. So you've got to stop giving Satan authority. Stop giving him authority in your marriage. Stop giving him authority in your physical body. Stop giving him authority in your finances. Speak the word, not your circumstance. What does the word say? If you're being attacked financially, you say to the devil, listen, I'm a tither, I'm a giver, the Bible says that God will pour, open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings there's not room enough to receive them all, and he will rebuke you, the devourer, for my sake. He will will rebuke you. He will rebuke you on my sake. As long as I'm tithing and giving to God, he will take care of my finances. I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen righteous people forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. It brings good pleasure for God to give prosperity to his servants. God wants to bless me. He's not in this earth to curse me. He's here to bless me. Amen. If I'm under physical attack, I don't talk about, oh, I'm this, and this is happening, and I'm going through this, and I'm having this trial. I say, no, this physical illness has no right to stay in my body. According to your word, you bore my sicknesses, you took my diseases, and by your stripes, I was healed. Not will be healed, was healed. So I claim my healing right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the devourer. I rebuke sickness in my body in Jesus' name. I rebuke it. Well... My, my, my marriage is this, and my husband is that, and blah, blah, blah. Well, the word says, the word says that we put Jesus in the center of our home, that you're the ruler over my home, and you can take care of my husband and all of his issues. And I thank you, Lord, that you, I, I loose you into his life to go into his heart, bring conviction to his heart, bring spirit of God back into his life, bring him back to the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that my husband will serve the Lord. He will live for God. He will declare the works of the Lord over my family. He will lead this family instead of, my husband's nothing but a bump, he's a, he's a no good, he's done this, he's done that. He's just gonna get worse. <laughs> you're either speaking blessing or you're speaking curses. All right, and then the third thing, the third thing you've gotta learn to do is you gotta rejoice in spite of how you feel. This is hard. This is hard because our feelings unfortunately, have great power in our lives. They say right now in America, since COVID hit, 30% of Americans have clinical depression. They're fighting with clinical depression. And, 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 it's, and it's on the increase. Suicide's on the increase. Uh, everything's on the increase negative. And, and, and here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Your feelings, if you, if you follow your feelings, they will take you down. And once your feelings become the the guide of your life and how you think about life and how you identify life, as soon as you identify based on how you feel, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because your emotions and your feelings, they'll go all over the place. How many of you found that out? One day you wake up, you're just the sweetest thing that ever lived in the earth. And then four hours later, something happened, and you just turned into the devil. You, You just became... A demon incarnate in the house. So God says, okay, if you're gonna learn how to, to get control over your feelings, you're gonna to have to learn how to rejoice. When you start to lose your joy, you gotta get it back. You gotta get it back. And you start reading the Bible, you'll start seeing, David, he's always talking about this. And here's what he says in, 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 in the book of Psalms. He says, Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praise forever. Spread your protection over, him, over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. He, he indicates that there's a life of, in, in, your, in your walk with God where you're singing to God, not just in church, but in your home, in your car, wherever you go, you're singing and you're praising him. Then he says, but let the godly rejoice, 6833. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with what? Joy. Sing praises to God into his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. When we come into church, we come to rejoice in his presence, not to just come and sing songs. We come to get joy in his presence. And then he says, Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Some of you just had a heart attack when I did that. <laughs> How many of you grew up in a quiet church? Let me see your hands. You, you, you had a little quiet church. I guess not many of you. Some of you grew up in, in, in loud churches that weren't necessarily godly churches. They were just loud churches, but... <laughs> I grew up in a quiet church, what I call a dignified church. I was an Episcopalian when I was a young kid. And then my my mother, she she raised me in that, and everybody was dressed in their paraphernalia, and you came in, and they played all this high music, and everybody was very reverent, very quiet, dignified. Then we got into the Baptist church, and the Baptist church that I went to was not a typical Baptist, it was a very quiet Baptist church. And then one day, I came into a church like this one, I'll never forget the first time I walked into it. It was a small church in Richmond, Virginia, maybe 50 people, and they were playing loud music, and the people were singing, and they were lifting their hands, and some people were dancing a jig, you know, like this. They were doing all this number right here. and, and you know, It was all white people. They were doing a jig, and, 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 and they were praising God and shouting. I thought, Lord, what have I walked into? <laughs> and then I started reading the Bible. And I discovered that some of the greatest men in the Bible, David, one of the greatest kings of all times, as they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, he decides to change his clothes from his kingly robes, and he puts on a linen ephod, a human di- diaper is basically what it looks like. And he gets behind the ark and they're blowing their trumpets and they're blowing their horns and people are going crazy. And David is whirling and twirling before the Lord in front of all the people. He's the king of the whole country and he's whirling and twirling, and he's undignified. And his wife looks down from the balcony and she sees him and she says to David, David, you're undignified. You're acting undignified. This is not for the king to act undignified. And David says back to his wife, if you think this is undignified, I will become even more undignified so that let the people know that I am nothing. I am nothing without my God, who is everything in my life. I will whirl and I will twirl and I will sing with an undignified way about me. Can I just tell you something? Sometimes you need to lose your dignity in front of God. You need to let your heart come up alive in God. You need to sometimes stand up to your feet. Come on. You need to stand up to your feet. You need to lift up your hands to the Lord and the King of kings. And you need to let him know that he is your Lord. He is your King. There is no one greater than God alone. You need to rejoice. I don't feel like, get up and rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, come on, I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. Yes, Lord. Come on, let's sing it to him.